All right, turn to Mark 2. We got through the first chapter of Mark, and it only took us, what, two or three months. All right. Um, I uh, am excited to get to this story. Let's read it. And again he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together inasmuch that there was no room to receive them, no, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they come unto him bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, Thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. That's what they were doing. They were reasoning in their hearts there. That's why they were there. (laughs) Why does this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves... He said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether, it is e- whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise, take up thy bed, and walk, but that ye may know that the Son of Man has power. We talked a little bit about power earlier this morning already. The Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He says to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise and take up thy bed and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose and took up the bed and went forth before them all, inasmuch as they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. We never saw it like this before. All right, so... I don't want to be tedious, but you know I'm working verse by verse through this, and that's good. but I'm actually going to give you an outline. But just by way of introduction, let me say just what this text is about. It's about His authority and His power. It's about Jesus being Lord. We talked last week, well, they said, well, Mark didn't use the word Lord in that last story that we were talking about, the end of chapter 1, but, but uh, Luke and... Uh, Matthew did. You see, there was a progressive uh, uh, belief, forming of a belief about Christ as time passed, and they were correcting Mark. Mark presents Jesus as Lord. Amen? And this is about that. It's about the authority and the lordship of the king. And that continues here now to be the central theme of the narrative of Mark. In fact, the central theme of the entire Bible, (laughs) every book, every line. Um, 
But it's the central theme of this narrative. We have seen the authority of Christ from the point that He was declared, go out. He has the authority of the individual, the authority in the home, the authority in the synagogue, the authority over the spiritual realm and over the physical realm. And now, over the spiritual reality of sin, He's Lord. Amen? There is no way you're going to get around and say that He is not Lord here. And I know some of you all may say, may say, well, Jason, are you ever going to get away from the theme of lordship? No, I can't. This is what this is about. You and I have a great need, and He's Lord over it. In fact, you and I have, this is our greatest need, and it's going to become a theme here. I, you're, I was just trying to say something about this to someone earlier this morning, but we get to verse 17 of the same chapter, and it says, they that are whole have no need of a physician, but they that are sick. I come not to call the righteous, but sinners. We're getting into the heart of His ministry to call sinners to repentance. And He has the power to heal that. Amen? He has the power, he's power, He has power over your sin. All right? So, he's all, He alone has this power. He's the only one that can meet this need. And this is what is being brought forth to her. Now, there is naturally going to be, this, this is naturally going to fall into four different headings. So I have a four-point outline, and you may get the first two points today. All right, and then we'll have to wait two weeks and pick it up afterwards after we celebrate the Lord's table next week. But the narrative naturally breaks up under four headings. We first have the scene. All right, and I want to go through the scene. I want to talk about the characters that are there. Uh, and then we have the controversy. What is the controversy? The controversy is very simple. Jesus' power to forgive sins is being brought to the table of his teaching. And then we have his infallible interpretation as he interprets the scene. And he says, which is easier? And in a couple weeks, we're going to have to come back and deal with that. And then we have the demonstration. He does not heal the man until the end, only when it is fully ready to demonstrate that what he is saying is true. And at the end, he says, rise, take up your bed. So that's the outline. It's a simple outline, and we're going to get into the first point or two today. So first, let's just talk about the scene here. And uh, we've already read the text, and let's just kind of march through it. Uh, it seems to be his custom. He entered again into Capernaum. That was, uh, so we're, we're getting this, this idea that this is just becoming customary. He's continuously coming back to the Capernaum, and Matthew 11.20 says this is where most of his mighty works were done. So this was central to his ministry. And, and it appeared like Jesus Christ, uh, because of how chapter 1 ended, it appears that he was content to, to come into uh, Capernaum without any fanfare. 
Um, and it and depends on how you would take this uh, after some days, whether that, that's connected after some days he came into Capernaum or was it after some days. Now, of course, uh, the, the, the context uh, isn't really clear, but it's, it appears that it's probably after some days uh, it was noised that he was in the house. So he was successful for a few days to get out of the limelight. Most likely that is the way we, we, we would read this. It was heard. Jesus, at this point in time, had a following. Um, and he was uh, a much desired and much sought after. Now, we don't know what the house is here. Um, there's the house here in English, but the Greek article is not there. Uh, so it's an unspecified house. Um, here, so it just says the house in your translation, but it, it is, we, we don't know what house it is. Now, some have speculated that maybe Jesus and his mother and his brethren have actually moved into uh, Capernaum, and that doesn't necessarily flow with the text. The house is not specifically mentioned in Luke and Matthew, um, and we're going to get a little bit into that, but most likely the house here is the same house he was staying at in chapter 1. That's, I mean, it just naturally flows with the context of Mark that this was Peter's house, and they were constantly going back there. That's where he had previously stayed, at least in chapter 1. Now, what house it is is not really important, and thus the la la it's not saying what house in our translation, and it didn't say what house or specify it in any way in the Greek, uh, Luke does not answer the question of what house, doesn't deal with the house at all. And the only thing we know about Matthew in Matthew chapter 9, verse 1, is it says that Jesus came into his own city, which apparently is Nazareth at this point. And not Naz was, was not Nazareth, rather, but Capernaum at this point. So I don't want to get tedious with a lot of this circumstantial stuff, but his desire was to escape the limelight. And Christ, though, was sought after, just like he was in chapter 1. Everyone's seeking you, Lord, and now he's back in Capernaum. Everyone's still seeking him. <laughs> uh, they wanted to see him. And it says, And straightway many were gathered together, inasmuch that there was no room to receive them, no, not so much as about the door. All right, whether the word immediately is in the text is of little importance, uh, but uh, grow... We, we see here the growing desire to hear Him. His presence commanded authority. In fact, it doesn't seem like they were even seeking healing. They wanted to hear Him speak now. Because what did He do at the end of verse 1? It says, And He preached the Word unto Him, and as He was teaching, as He was declaring to them the truth of God's Word... They were pressing in. We want to hear this. The Word. Here, here, here we have, we, we have a, a something that is specified, something that is conceptualized. Preach the Word. That's what Jesus was doing, and that's what we're supposed to do. <laughs> Amen? Uh, Paul, Paul said, Timothy, preach the Word. Same, same, same language. The message, the fullness of the message. What was he preaching? He was preaching his kingdom. He was preaching his doctrine. He had 
This was the ministry of the Word. There was ministry of the Word, ministry of His works. Uh, this was the ministry of the Word. And it was coming from the very source of authority uh, that was being taught. And this was always the way of the church. The Word is central. One of the great things of the Reformation is, it's, is, is the central idea that the pulpit took center stage in, in, in the churches. And it was about the Word being declared. The Apostle said in Acts chapter 6, we should not leave the ministry of the Word and prayer to serve tables and do things of that. So the offices of, the, uh, of deacons was created and things of that nature. Why? Because the ministry of the Word was important. And here we see that. I, I would like to know what he was talking about. There's a lot of places in the Scriptures that are like that. Don't you just want to know what Jesus was saying? Uh, like when he was working, well, walking with the disciples on Emmaus. And, but here he was speaking, and he was speaking with such authority that they were pressing in. They were gathering about the door, just trying to get in an earshot so they can hear what he was saying. He was powerfully preaching. I reckon he was probably preaching something like the Sermon on the Mount, much fuller, and they were just pressing here to hear it. And it drew lots of attention because we're going to see that the scribes were showing up. Why? Because he was teaching. He was teaching something amazing that everybody was wondering about, everybody was wanting to hear, and they're there to judge. And we're going to talk about the scribes here shortly. The circumstance gave way, though, to a greater teaching moment. Remember, what is he doing in the house? He's teaching. And when this man comes, what's he going to do? He's going to continue teaching. And he's going to teach something very important. There is an unfolding and progressive revelation of Jesus Christ that is, come, is being brought forth here. And he's going to teach something new. And it says... So we have, this is what's going to happen in the scene. They came unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. Now Mark is the only one that talks about how many people were carrying this one. But here, they come unto him. Uh, for, for, for this scene, we are introduced to two sets of characters. We are introduced to the one that has palsy. The idea is he's a paralytic. In fact, the, the term paralytic is just is just the, uh, the uh, anglicizing of the Greek word that is used. We, we have paralytic from here. Well, who is the paralytic? This is, this is one of the two, two sets of characters and just this one sole person. Uh, he's unable to come, at least on his own. He's unable to come to Christ, but needed to. And then we have another set of characters. We have the friends of the paralytics, of the paralytic. And what were they doing? Well, it's obvious what they were doing. First of all, they were encouraging to, hey, we can get you there. <laughs> if you'll just let us, uh, we'll, we'll get you to Christ somehow. Now, we're not even sure that it was limit, his friends were limited to the four. It says they come and four people were carrying them. So there may have been several friends of this paralytic that was there. And they were encouraging him, and they were helping him get to Christ, and may have, and, and may have been several of them uh, more so than what we have. Uh, so we, we should note here, I want to note, because we're going to get to this place where he said, is Saul their faith? Who is their? I have no reason to believe that that excluded the paralytic. Amen? Now, you all don't have to agree. You say, well, he only saw the faith of the friends. <laughs> 
I think he saw the faith of all, uh, of all of them because I, I think it's helpful for us to see them as a unit here. When, and when we get to Christ seeing their faith, it speaks of all of them, the paralytic and the friends. The participles are a little hard to, to, to get there because when you're talking about reading it in Greek, uh, they, they, depending on the manuscript, they're in varying order. But if we would I give a wooden reading here of the text, it would be this. There comes to him a paralytic being born, being carried by four. That's kind of the wooden reading of the text, if you were just to translate it word by word. Uh, th these four and the paralytic need to be seen as united in purpose. The paralytic, based upon what's going to follow, wanted to come but couldn't, and may have even been discouraged from even trying. Because there's a reason why, well, Matthew says, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. You get the idea that this man felt like he was very sinful. Maybe even that's the reason why he was paralyzed. So he was nervous about even having his friends help him get there, maybe. If I was to, if I was to talk about, if I was to list the characters, we would have Christ, who is the faith, That's Christ. There's one character here. And then we have a little faith. That's kind of, that's, that's kind of a John Bunyan, if he was to tell, retell the story and start giving uh, names to the characters. Little faith. That's the paralytic. He needed the message that Christ's going to give him in a second. Be of good cheer. Son your, your sins are forgiven. And then, if I was to give a title to the friends, the encouragers, we'll get you to Christ. Don't worry, we'll, we'll get you there somehow. Even if we have to break this roof up, we have to tear this house down, we're going to get you there. Great faith. That's his friends. However many that happens to be. It was at least four. So, if we were to give them the titles, that would have been. The identity of none of them is important. They don't have names. And just like we said when we were talking about the leper, it could be whosoever. Could be anybody. And as we start applying the scripture, it could be you in need of forgiveness, in need of healing. Or it could be you in need of helping others that are in need to get to Christ. None of these are identified. They're all unspecified. Could be anybody. And as we apply it, we can definitely learn something from their characters. Now, what do we learn about faith? Faith, when I'm talking about you and I, believing, trusting, it faces barriers. Amen? There's no faith that you and I that doesn't have barriers in front of it. The last scene that we were looking at, uh, there were no real barriers between the petitioner and Christ. The leper just came to him. 
And the only barrier that existed was A, the need, leprosy, and B, the willingness of Christ to address it. Here, the barrier, though, was just making it to Christ. Go back to the text. And when they could not come nigh to him for the press, that means uh, Jesus will use this word later. He says, pressing into the kingdom. <laughs> they, they were literally tightening up against the door. I mean, there was, uh, has anybody ever been to like a, a big sporting event or something like that when they're trying to let, get, in, get into the sporting event or, or a concert or, or uh, I mean, no one presses into the church nowadays. So I'm trying to think of an event, maybe a fair or something, and everybody's excited. And that's kind of what they were, they were just kind of like pressed. Uh, I mean, that's literally what we're looking at. Because of the press, they uncovered the roof. And when and that, they didn't just uncover it, but they started breaking through the parts that wouldn't allow them to fit the bed in. And then they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy was laying. So just to get through all the fanfare here, um, there was no conventional way to get him to Christ. There was barriers. The crowd pressed to hear him. Luke actually gives a more careful walk through this scene. And probably the people that we're reading about got saved later. <laughs> or got saved then, for <laughs> however you want to look at it. Uh, and Luke actually went and talked to them as eyewitnesses because Luke spoke to eyewitnesses. I want to I read what Luke said because it's a little bit longer. Luke chapter 5, verse 18 and 19. And behold, men brought in a bed a man which was taken with a palsy. And they sought means to bring him in. So they first tried this, they first tried that, they tried this and this and that. They sought means to bring him in and to lay him before him. They had... Uh, they had this purpose, and they were. Then they continued to try and were thwarted. And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in, because of the multitude. Oh yeah. Uh, when they could not find a way to bring him in, because of the multitude, they went about the housetop. So probably what you think, what you're seeing here is often they would build houses on the side of the house. There's a reason in the Old Testament to talk about building fences around the roof is because a lot of the houses were built on sides of hills. And people could just be your neighbor who you're supposed to love, who would be just be meandering around the hillside and fall off the house. So they were supposed to put fences around it. Why? Because you're supposed to love your neighbor. All right. So there's reasons for a lot of these commands in the scripture. So probably built the side of the house. So they probably went up little steps on the side of the house, got up to where those covered with straw around the fencing, and there's Jesus around the doorway. And they were trying to hear him, and they start tearing the roof up. <laughs> they start beating the beams to the side. So and then it said, Luke says, and they went to the house top, upon the house top, and let him down through the tiling with his couch into the mist before Jesus. Mark agrees. They removed the thatched roofing. They started breaking and digging. The idea is that they were just 
using their hands to remove the obstacles. And they let down the bed, the couch, according to Luke. What this means is just kind of this pallet, a poor man's pallet that he would sleep on. And probably made some kind of makeshift ropes, or they might have had some ropes, I don't know, but they started, they laid the man, they, the man was laying, and they finally got a big enough space, and they start letting him down. Probably hurt a lot. <laughs> but they got him to Jesus. While he was lying there on the mat, he was let down to where Jesus was. From here, Jesus chooses something to do something purposefully. To unfold a profound truth. He is not stopped teaching. He's continuing to teach, and this is a furtherance of his doctrine and a very important one for us today. So much so that all three synoptics, they change a little bit in the wording, but all three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, tell the same story here. First, they give a temporal clause. After Christ saw their faith. That's the temporal clause here. The visible manifestation of works faith had brought forth. That's how you see faith. Faith is something that is seen. All right? So, uh, People, people today, uh, you know, have this idea that uh, they can have this private spiritual kind of, 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 or this private spirituality that has nothing to do with what they do. Uh, Paul and James disagree. James says, show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. And that's what's happening here. They're showing their faith. And after that, he spoke. Faith reaches out, faith seeks an object, faith trusts. True faith is something that's able to be seen. And when Jesus saw their faith, uh, Jameson Fawcett Brown said this, when Jesus saw their faith, it is remarkable that all three narratives called their faith, which Jesus saw, that the patient himself had, we know from the proclamation of the forgiveness of sin, which, was, which Jesus made before all, and we should have been apt to conclude that his four friends bore to him, to Jesus, merely out of benevolent compliance with the urgent entreaties, they had faith too. There was full agreement too about the message. Matthew, Mark, Luke, this was important. An important point in the teaching of Christ. Christ can forgive sins. That's why we're Christians. That's why 2,000 years later, we're still here. And we still believe. Matthew and Mark have a different vocative. Some people say, well, here's an error in the Bible. One of these, Matthew, Mark, or Luke, one of them's wrong. Maybe two of them. Maybe all three. All right, what's this big mistake? Well, Matthew and Mark have the vocative, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Son. Luke has a different vocative. Man, your sins are forgiven you. Man. 
Now, how do you answer this? Well, just remember, this is a summary. They're both, all three gospel writers are given a summary of what was said based upon various eyewitnesses. So there's no collusion here. They didn't get together and say, what are you going to write? Okay, I'm going to write the same thing. No, there's just, this is real history being told. And since it's just uh, each is offering a summary of what happens, they all have equal authority. Let me give you some theology here. The one coming to him was identified as a man full of sin in need of grace, but the one coming to him became a son. Amen? We are children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Galatians 3.26 So there's some theology comparing Scripture with Scripture. Don't sit there and say, well, I don't know if it said man or son, so I'm just not going to believe the entire, entire Bible. <laughs> All right. Luke said man, Matthew and Mark said son. I'd say both of them were probably said in the, in the fullness of what Jesus was saying. And there is some good theology there. But this, just dealing with what Mark says, the vocative speaks of a tender one, son, technon, one utterly dependent. That's you, that's me. We're utterly dependent on our Father. That's what it means to be a child. And Christ in tenderness addressed him in such a tender way. Matthew has him saying, also saying, be of good cheer. Why? Because he was probably discouraged in that moment, not just discouraged in life because he was paralyzed, but discouraged. I can't come. I can't make it if I wanted to try. And even if I did, oh, what a sinner am I. The sinner seeking Christ needs the assurance of faith, and Christ gave him that assurance. The sinner is freely encouraged by Christ. And then Christ, the crux of the entire matter, Christ, on his own authority without mediation, declares that this man's sins are forgiven. Why? Because He forgives them. And that's what He's going to explain later, and we'll deal with that in a couple weeks. The Son of Man has power to forgive. Alright? So that's the crux of the message. Pulpit commentary said this, In His own name and by His own inherent power, He there and then forgives the man of his sins. In His own name and by His inherent power. What is this saying about Jesus? Setting aside all the silly stuff that people talk about the Gospels, there's no... Christ has divine power to forgive. Turn to Isaiah 43. I promise I'll try to be done in five minutes, okay? Don't let the implications be lost on you. Isaiah 43, 
This is Jehovah. This is Yahweh of Israel. Isaiah 43:25, I, even I am he that blots out thy transgressions for my own sake. Amen? Based upon, based upon the scriptures, who forgives sins? Amen. God. And, and that's not going to be lost on the enemies of Christ either. God forgives sins. That's power. And that's what Christ is going to call it when we talk about this next week. He has power. And this is going to run headlong into the controversy. And let me say a few words about the controversy. The controversy is this. Christ absolved a man of his sins. Now, we've been heaped in Catholic idolatry for about 1,600 years of history. It talks about, pre, says that we have priests and the priest has power to absolve. That's blasphemy. We have one priest. <laughs> and he alone has the power to absolve. And that's not, and this is the scriptures. That stares that entire idolatrous idea in the face. What's the controversy? Christ absolves sin. He is declaring the right and the power to forgive sins. The sign of this truth is yet to come. He's going to do the sign. He's going to confirm this with a sign. But here he's just teaching it. He's using this scene to teach. So the controversy. Let's talk about some other characters here. Christ was teaching here that he taught here he taught truth about himself. The signs and the miracles were going to be the evidence, but it met resistance, it met unbelief. Where we had little faith and great faith in the faith, Christ. We have some other people that are present that we're going to call no faith. We could call this unbelief, and that's the scribes. And they sat there with disdain. Our text says, but there were certain of the scribes. Sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, that's what they were doing, and they've come to a conclusion now. They heard him say, your sins are forgiven you. And they say, why doth this man speak blasphemies? The wooden reading here would be, why does this man thus speak? He blasphemes. That's, how, how, that's literally how it would be read. Why does this man speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God? ask you a question. Why were the scribes there? I, I'd say it's probably why the, why the Pharisees and the scribes and people within the Sanhedrin were there with John the Baptist and they were going to be there later trying to catch him in his words, trying to do things. Like I said earlier, this man's teaching everywhere and people were literally doing anything they could to get to where they could hear him. 
And they were going away leaving, man, this man has authority. This, he's not like the scribes. So now, who's there? Sitting. Chief seats. They wouldn't have any less. They're not going to be the people pressing. They have authority too. Sitting right in front of them, I can picture their hands folded. Why were they there? Well, Jesus wasn't teaching in the synagogue. He wasn't coming to them, so they were going to him. <laughs> Who were the scribes? The scribes were learned in the law of Moses. And what they did, and we think of scribes, they're just, uh, just those that copied scriptures. Yes, they copied scriptures, uh, and they were professionals at doing that. But what they did is they acted as, an, as interpreters of the scriptures. Thus, they, were, they, they in the Greek, are called grammatus, scribes, because they handled the graphe, the scriptures, or the writings. I heard someone today say, or not today, but a few days ago on Twitter, the, the scriptures don't equal the Bible. Well, where are the, where are the scriptures at? <laughs> Silliness. But the scribes, they handled the scriptures. And in their handling of the scriptures, they rendered advice or decisions about scriptural questions. So these men had specific kind of authority. They were members of the Sanhedrin and were often mentioned in connection with the priest and the elders. You would also always add the scribes. You almost always had that. And according to Luke, in the same account, Luke 5, 17 and 21, these particular scribes were of the sect of the Pharisees. So there are pharisaical scribes. Just like the disputing in the synagogue that happened last time, here they were there to judge Christ, as if they had authority to judge the one that spoke with all authority. They don't, and neither do you and me. Neither is the clowns on Twitter and Facebook. They don't have the right to judge Christ, to judge His Word, judge His teachings, judge His works. Why? Because He's Lord. <laughs> Amen? All right, so they're there, and they were there reasoning. Going back and forth, every little word you can picture. Okay, okay, what? nothing there. They were going back and forth in their evaluation. That's the word. Oh, I, how did I pronounce it? Logizomai. Uh, they were going back and forth in their reasoning. Without certainty of faith in God, where does, this, where does your human reasoning lead to? Destruction. We need faith in Him. <laughs> not our reasoning and not our ability to figure things out. So, let me get to the end. I said five minutes. Healed sick, cast out demons, and taught with authority. And on one little phrase, they say, whoa, 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 whoa. Why, what are they saying here? I like John Gill. My goodness, I'm long-winded. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. They took Christ to be a mere man and reasoned with themselves that he must be a blasphemer in assuming that to himself which was peculiar to God. They missed the possibility. They missed the greatest of possibilities that according to the Scriptures, the Lord had come. 
Amen? I don't, we're, we're, we can psychologize later, but I, I imagine that they couldn't stand that this man had authority. And people were saying, not like the scribes. <laughs> the scribes don't have that kind of authority. And they were there to prove something. They do. And this is just a mere man. The light came into the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. No faith could not comprehend what the men carrying the man on the bed and breaking up a roof could. Christ was stretching the proof of his authority to this very conclusion. So the text presents with two conclusions that were made. There's the conclusion of no faith, and then there's the conclusion of the faith. The faith that you and I still believe. One held him to be a blasphemer, and one was declaring that he was the Lord with power. And that same dilemma now stands before everyone who reads this text. Everyone. The unbelievers on Twitter, the people you talk to out the door, they're either going to be with the scribes or they're going to be with him. They can't have both. I want to end by going to Luke chapter 5. Because the ones that missed out today, on this day, were the scribes. They missed the true healing that Christ could give. The forgiveness of sins. Read, read here in Luke five seventeen, And it came to pass on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law... So the scribes weren't alone. They were just the ones that are there, the reason. That's the doctors of the law there. Sitting by, which were out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, they came a long way to sit there and reason. And the power of the Lord was present to heal who? To heal who? Who's of them? Particularly in this context of this verse, there were cert certain one he was teaching. As he was teaching, there were there Pharisees, doctors of law, sitting by, which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, and power was present to heal them. The scribes. You know what the scribes had a need of? The same thing the paralytic had a need of? The forgiveness of sins. And Mark is leading them to this greater truth. Again, verse 17 of our text. When Jesus heard it, he says unto them, They that are whole have no need of a physician, but they that are sick. I come to call... The right, I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And they missed the real healing. They needed it, but they had no faith. They had no faith, so they were ready to say, this man's a blasphemer. We got theology, <laughs> right? One God, 
God alone, and they missed that that Lord, that God, was in front of them. So there's the scene, there's the controversy, in a couple weeks we'll pick up from there. Let's stand and we'll be dismissed. Now the invitation is open, if there's anybody here that needs Christ, in the way that every character needed Him, the invitation's open. I'll open up the scripture and talk to you about Christ all afternoon if you want.